if you already know what you're looking for. Such was my state of mind when, thirty yards from the boat, the surface opened and something huge heaved into the air. The size was right for a very big arapaima, but the shape was all wrong. What I'd seen, if the blurred afterimage wasn't deceiving me, was an arched back, bright pink in colour and bearing a row of large triangular points. It was like some huge gear wheel in the lake's workings, briefly cutting into the air before spinning back into the depths. What it was not like was any living creature in the real world. Back at the hut that night I described it to José, who knew the lake better than anyone. He regarded me over his ragged moustache and then asked where I was keeping my secret bottle of cachaça and why I wasn't sharing it with him. Nothing like that lives here, he said. All the other fishermen I told about it said the same thing. So what do you do with an experience like that? Do you keep talking about it in the face of disbelief or even ridicule? Or, like a puzzled spectator at a magic show, do you admit that your eyes must have been tricked? Or rather, your brain has misinterpreted the signals from your eyes? For the sake of my sanity, I allowed the outlandish vision, which had once screamed for attention, to fade from my memory. And that's how things would have stayed if I hadn't gone back the next year. I was still looking for Arapaima, but I also cast lures into the lake margins for smaller species, Tukunare, more widely known as peacock bass, Surabim, and Arowana. Usually to return to the water, but sometimes for the pot. On one particular day, when these fish were proving more elusive than usual, there were several pink river dolphins breaching in the area of the deep hole. These, the scientific name is Inia Jeffrensis, but they are known locally as botos, are among the Amazon's strangest-looking animals, hump-backed with a bulging head that contains an echolocation organ and sports a narrow, toothy beak. I decided to pack up fishing for the day and try to photograph dolphins instead. With my 135mm medium telephoto lens, I had to be pointing right at them to get them in the frame. But they appeared through the surface without warning, in random positions for just a fraction of a second, and by the time I'd reacted they were gone. However, with the bright sunlight and fast film, I could set both a fast shutter speed to freeze the action, and a small enough aperture to give a good depth of field, so I didn't have to fiddle with fine focus. I then waited with the camera raised, ready to react to the loud exhaling puff that signalled a breach. The next couple of hours saw me almost dislocate my neck several times as I snapped round and pushed the shutter, as well as nearly tipping myself out of the boat, which was wobbly enough even when I was keeping still. I had an idea that I'd clicked on a dolphin or two, but there was no way to know until I had the slides processed. Several weeks later, when I got back to the UK, most of the frames were much as I expected, shots of the sky and skewed horizons, some with anonymous splashes and spreading rings, but I did have a couple showing a dolphin's humped back. Then I held another slide up to the light, and there it was, the shape that had been transient and blurred on my retina, now clear and sharp on film. But what on earth was it? The picture was published in BBC Wildlife magazine, sparking speculation that it might even be an unknown new species. I returned to the lake the next year with a video camera provided by the BBC Natural History Unit, and after a six-week stakeout I captured it on videotape in just three grainy frames, but unmistakable.
I also looked into the mystery of its identity, and three years later, after talking to countless people, pieced together the shocking story. It's one that, in some ways, I would rather not know, but even so, there is a happy ending for both the creature and me. The creature is exuberantly alive, almost flaunting its strangeness, and I am not losing my marbles. My fisherman's tale was true. And in a strange way, this discovery gave me a broader validation. Although a few friends saw my shoestring travels as unusual and interesting, in the eyes of most I had lost my way. After attending primary school in South East England, I had won a full-fees scholarship to an exclusive public, meaning private, school, where at age 16 I scored the best exam results in the school's history. But then my trajectory flattened and nosedived. I emerged from university with a degree in zoology, vaguely prompted by my interest in fish, but no idea of anything I wanted to do. So, instead of crushing knuckles under...